0: Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Norton, and I'm one of the pastors uh, here at New Denver Church. Thanks for joining us either here in person or if you're joining us online. We're glad you're able to tune in uh, today. Um, We are going to discuss a number of topics in the sermon and in the passage that we look at today, um, including uh, the Supreme Court vacancy, uh, Chick-fil-A, and uh, lots and lots of blood. So, um, if you're new here, you're probably thinking, what kind of cult have I gotten myself into? Uh, If you've been around for a while, you're like, the Supreme Court vacancy, wow, we're talking about politics today? We don't really do that usually here. Um, And then others of you are thinking like, Chick-fil-A, wow, Um, and now you're mad at me because I remind you of Chick-fil-A on a Sunday, and you don't talk about Chick-fil-A on Sundays, right? That's like rule number one. So, uh, here's how we're going to talk about all of those politics, uh, all of those politics, all of those... um, issues and all of those topics and that's because we're in a series called You Lost Me at Leviticus and we're reading through the entire book of Leviticus in 13 weeks. Uh, We've done seven weeks. Today is uh, week eight and it's been quite a journey so far and if you're joining us for the first time either in person or online um, you might be wondering what kind of crazy church does an entire 13-week series on Leviticus And uh, that's us. We're kind of crazy in that way. We have five core values, and one of our core values is Scripture. And uh, so we just believe that um, there's something that happens when we read these ancient words, and there's some wisdom that we can learn from them. There's things that we can learn about God and about ourselves, and that includes all the words of Scripture. And, uh, and Leviticus is a really big and long book, uh, and it's part of Scripture, and so we're just taking some time uh, to work our way through it. Now, some of you might also be thinking, why are we doing an entire, like, 13-week series on this? Couldn't we just have spent, like, one or two weeks on Leviticus? And, um, and no, we couldn't have. I have no idea how we would be able to do just one or two weeks um, on Leviticus, uh, you might also be thinking um, that right now, uh, life is crazy in our world, and there's this pandemic, and it's turned all of our lives upside down, and there's this crazy election, and uh, there's rioting in the streets. There's just, there's so many things happening in our world right now. Why aren't we talking about those things? Why are we talking about this really strange and, and weird uh, book from the past? And, um, and that's because Leviticus is about a group of people, the Israelites, whose lives were turned upside down. They had just left Egypt, a place that they were in for hundreds of years, and now everything has been turned upside down. They're living a life that's totally different than they ever imagined. They're actually in the literal wilderness, and they're wondering, what do we do here? And God gives them this wisdom and these instructions as a way of saying, even in the midst of this chaotic and turbulent situation you find yourselves in, I want to give you a new order by which you can live your lives. And so we think that would help us as well, as we think about how to live in light of a chaotic and turbulent world that's been turned upside down in many of our lives. So uh, today, we're going to read a passage. We're in Leviticus chapter um, 17, and we're going to read a passage. Uh, It's not actually a very long chapter, but we're going to read a passage that um, it's going to feel super disconnected from our lives at first when we read it. And you're going to be thinking, what in the world is going on here? Um, and, and you're going to be thinking the issues that this is talking about seem so foreign to us, but they're actually not. Because there is a truth, there's a, there's a principle, there's an idea in this passage, in these instructions that I think couldn't be more relevant to our lives. And it's something that I think we desperately need to hear And think about today. So with all that, let's just jump right in. Um, I'm just going to read through some passages, some verses. I'm going to skip and skim a few of them. So if you brought a Bible, read along. If not, um, you can just sort of listen as we go. Chapter 17 of Leviticus starts this way. Verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the Israelites and say to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Now, let me pause right there. This sounds familiar. You've heard this kind of phrasing all throughout the book. But there's actually a subtle shift that has happened right here in verse 1 of Leviticus 17. And you wouldn't notice it if you were just sort of reading through the book and you didn't pause and look at it. But this is the first time in the whole book where it says that God is speaking to Aaron and his sons and all of the Israelites. Most of Leviticus so far has just been addressing Aaron and his sons. It's just been about the priests and the rituals and the ceremonies and all of the purity laws and all of the things that are happening at this tent of meeting. We've been talking about that for so long. It's this this place right in the middle of their entire camp where they would do these rituals and they would come offer sacrifices and they would meet with God and the priests were in charge of all that. And so almost everything we've read so far has been all about what happens there in the tent of meeting led by the priest. But now suddenly there's instruction and it's not just for the priest, it's for all the people. And what you're going to see is that it's about what happens outside the tent of meeting. Here's what it says. Verse 3. Any Israelite who sacrifices an ox, a lamb, or a goat in the camp or outside of it Instead of bringing it to the entrance to the tent of meeting, to present it as an offering to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord, that person shall be considered guilty of bloodshed. They have shed blood and must be cut off from their people. So as I mentioned, remember in the beginning of Leviticus, we read all of these instructions about how they should bring sacrifices to the tent of meeting. And now there's additional instructions that are being given to the people that are making it clear. Hey, anytime you slaughter one of these animals, you need to do it at the tent of meeting. No slaughtering animals outside the tent of meeting. No doing it in your own camp. No doing it outside of the camp. And in fact, it says, if you do that, you're guilty of bloodshed. These are words that are used in Genesis to describe murdering another human being. Being. and apparently there's some issue that has come up in Israel while they're there in the wilderness and now there's direct instruction to talk about this issue because look at what it says next verse five this is so the Israelites will bring to the Lord the sacrifices they are now making in the open fields They must bring them to the priest, that is to the Lord, at the entrance to the tent of meeting and sacrifice them as fellowship offerings. They must no longer offer any of their sacrifices to the goat idols to whom they prostitute themselves. Okay, so this is getting a bit strange. Apparently, there's people that are out in the fields and they're slaughtering animals out there and they're probably just doing it to provide meat right? So they didn't eat eat meat as often as we do, but every now and then they did. And so they're killing some animals out in the fields, and uh, they're not supposed to do that anymore. And apparently there's also some people that are sacrificing animals out in the fields, and it's part of this ritual to these goat idols. Now, we know from other ancient Near Eastern texts at this time that this was actually a practice of some of the peoples that lived in the area where they were moving towards. And so basically God is saying, "Like, look, just because the neighbors do this, just because they worship some of their own gods and some of their own idols, and they have these own rituals, that doesn't mean it's okay for you. You can't worship their gods and their idols. You can't practice their rituals. You are supposed to be different. Remember, you're supposed to be holy. That means different from other." people. And then, just in case they haven't gotten this message about killing animals, it says in verse 8, any Israelite or any foreigner residing among you who offers a burnt offering or a sacrifice and does not bring it to the entrance to the tent of meeting to sacrifice it to the Lord must be cut off from the people of Israel. Now, we read this and it's a little bit like, why is this such a big deal? Why is this so important? I mean, I get that worshiping other idols or other gods, that would be frowned upon. Like, that's in the Ten Commandments. I get, I get that part. But, but if people are just out in the fields killing animals to provide meat for their family, to provide food for their tables, why is that such a problem? Why, why is this so serious? Why is someone who does this considered guilty of bloodshed. And why should they be cut off from the community? I mean, it says it like three times in a row. Like this is just, they should be cut off. They should be considered, this is so dangerous, it's unhealthy to the community, so they should be considered not a part of the community anymore. And this is one of those places in Leviticus where you start reading and it just seems kind of odd and foreign And uh, it's one of those parts that we usually just chalk up, well, that was just their culture, right? Their culture is so different than our culture, and it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to us. And so typically what we do at this point is we just start skimming forward and sort of reading the rest of the chapter. And you start seeing the whole rest of the chapter is still about killing these animals and blood and bloodshed and all of these things. And we just sort of chalk it up to that's not really relevant to us. That doesn't apply to us anymore. Let's just move on to the next chapter. But there is a truth in these instructions. There is a, a principle here that is so powerful and so important and so relevant to us. that We're not going to just move on to the next chapter. We'll get to that next week. But today we need to pause and really think about what's going on here and how it might apply. Here's why Leviticus takes the killing of these animals out in the fields so seriously. It continues, verse 10. God says, "...I will set my face against any Israelite or any foreigner residing among them who eats blood, and I will cut them off from the people. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar." It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Therefore, I say to the Israelites, none of you may eat blood, nor may any foreigner residing among you eat blood. Now, this was mentioned one time before in Leviticus. We kind of flew through that section, but now it's made super clear and super explicit. This is all about the blood. That's why they're not supposed to be killing these animals out in the, fra- out in the fields. And, and the key phrase here is found right in the middle of this chapter, right in the middle of those verses. The life of the creature is in the blood. See, blood represents life. And, and loss of blood represents loss of life. And that's not really a cultural thing, right? Right? I mean, that's a universal truth. We all need blood in our bodies to live. We donate blood to other people to help them live. You can measure someone's life by the pulse of the blood moving through their bodies. And of course, when we lose blood, well, all of us take that seriously as well, right? I was backpacking with uh, my daughter, Marin, a few years ago. Um, we were in uh, this wilderness area, and um, I had hung our food up in a tree. And you have to do that in Colorado whenever you go backpacking uh, to keep it away from bears or critters or those kinds of things overnight. Um, but the tree I threw our food up in, it got caught on a branch when I was trying to get it down. You ever had this happen? And uh, and so I had to climb up the tree to get this food off the branch. So I climbed up the tree. My daughter Marin, she's like eight years old at the time. This is several years ago, and she's with me and she's watching Daddy climb up the tree to get the food. And I got the food untangled, and I'm coming down the tree. And it's this old uh, sort of pine tree. And I got to the last branch. It's like six or eight feet off of the ground. And it snapped when I stepped on it, and so I'm falling down. And as I'm falling down, I can see that where the branch snapped off, there's this sharp point sticking out. And I'm, I'm like, I'm falling down right on that. And I can, and this is all happening in seconds. And I can see it's going to, it's going to stab me. And so I kind of push, push my hand down to to push my body off of the tree, just so I don't fall on this thing. And I don't really make it in time, and it hits me right there, and I fall down on the ground, and I can't breathe. And I'm like bending over, just clutching my chest, and I I cannot breathe. And my daughter is staying there. She's just silent watching all of this. And I I finally, like, it felt like eternity. Maybe it was just like one or two seconds, but I'm, I'm able to sort of stand up and I pull my hand off my chest, and it's just covered in blood, and there's blood pouring out. And, and in that moment, I do. I have punctured a lung. I have punctured my heart. I am about to bleed to death in a matter of a couple of minutes in front of my eight-year-old daughter, and the only thing I can think of is my wife, Janice, is going to be so mad at me, Right? And then I was able to, I looked at my chest, and everything was okay. It, it had knocked the wind out of me, but it didn't actually puncture. What it had done is sliced my whole hand open, and that is what was bleeding. So it was still bleeding, and it was still scary, and I ran to the river, and I stuck my hand in the river, and it hurt, and then we had to bandage it up, and it was really deep cut and all those things. And it was super scary, right, because in those moments we all know Loss of blood quickly equals loss of life. And this whole idea that blood equals life and loss of blood equals loss of life, it's just repeated over and over and over in this ancient text of Leviticus. And so we're told at parts of Leviticus, if you lose blood from your body for any reason, you need to take that seriously. That's a matter of life and death. And when you go slaughter an animal, you need to take that seriously as well. When you see the blood pouring out of the animal, that's a matter of life and death. And so the people are told specifically, don't eat the blood that devalues life. And, and, and that you should only slaughter this animal at the tent of meeting where it can be taken seriously, where you can reflect on the loss of life of this animal and you can also reflect on the life that God gives you by providing this for you. Maybe also by providing the forgiveness that you need when you come to him. And so only slaughter animals at the tent of meeting. Don't do it out in the fields. Don't do it... Casually, you need to be able to reflect on what this blood means. You need to be able to realize every time you see this blood that life is sacred. and has to be taken seriously. And so chapter 17 actually goes on. We're not going to read the rest, but there's some other instructions. It says when you go hunt an animal out in the fields or out in the forest, an animal that you're allowed to hunt, you need to drain the blood on the ground, and then you cover it with dirt. And if you ever happen to eat meat that is or does have blood in it, then you've done something taboo and you need to cleanse yourself. So there's these strange rules that, again, seem a little odd to us, but they all get back to this same very central idea. And it's this, that life is sacred. Life is always sacred. And that's not just an abstract idea. That's not just a a philosophical concept. It is a truth that should actually shape the way we live our lives. It's not just about what happens on Sunday or in the tent of eating. It should shape how you live your life outside of the tent, how you live your life out in the fields. It should shape how you hunt. It should shape the food that you provide at the dinner table. And this is one of those shifts that's happening in Leviticus Now we're going to begin to see the first half of Leviticus is all about what was happening in the tent of meeting but the second half of Leviticus is all about how you live your life outside of the tent and how the beliefs that you think about God and about life should reflect your actual actions and behaviors in life. And so the question that I think we should ask today is do we believe this truth? Do we believe that life Is that sacred? And that we need to take it seriously. And if so, how does that reflect how we actually live our lives and engage in our world? How would this truth translate into our lives? Where might God look at our culture and say, no, 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 no. You need to stop doing that. When you do that, you're devaluing life. I think there's a lot of areas where we devalue the dignity, the sanctity, the sacredness of life. And in all of those areas, I think it's an opportunity for us as people of faith and as followers of Jesus to embody a new way to say, no, 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 life is sacred and we're going to take it sacredly. Let's just get specific. Uh, Think about a group of people that you don't like. Well, let's just think about politics for a second, right? There's probably a political party right now that you do not like. Maybe it's both of them, right? But but there's probably a group of people or a politician or a leader right now that disgusts you. And every time you see them on TV or you read about them on your computer, like you just want to throw something at it, right? What if before your anger took hold? What if before your hatred took hold? you remember that, yes, even this person that you don't like and all that they stand for that you don't like, even they are sacred. And their life was given to them by God, and God sees them as sacred and precious in His eyes. And what if when you even talked about the people that you don't like, you still upheld their dignity and their sacredness? You still honored that. What about forgotten groups of people in our culture? Are there groups of people that we devalue their lives through neglect? I think about the elderly, right? Particularly those with significant health problems. They're often forgotten in our culture. We outsource their care and their love to nursing homes and to professionals, right? Right? I have friends that visit nursing homes just to sit with people who are lonely, who, who have been told by the rest of society that your life doesn't really matter anymore to us. And when my friends go visit nursing homes and sit with people, they're making a statement by simply being there. And the statement is simple your life is still precious and sacred. Uh, What about children? What about unwanted children? Um, There's a lot of talk right now about the abortion issue, and that's because there's an election, and that's because there's a a Supreme Court vacancy that no one saw coming, and there's so much debate about it, and and there's one side that's very concerned about this and sees it as a great opportunity to take control of the court and to overturn laws, and there's another side that's very concerned about this as well and sees the devious way that this control is being taken, but what if everyone, and particularly followers of Jesus, could just step back and step away from the politics for a little while and just agree that life is always sacred, and any time any child is unwanted or neglected or discarded, it's a tragedy. It's always a tragedy. And and so what if we didn't just sit and talk about it, or say that we believe that, but what if we actually did something that said life is valuable? Because you know that If every single church in America supported three families from their community of faith, three couples who chose to adopt a child from either the foster care system or from an unwanted pregnancy, if every church supported just three couples who did that, there would be zero unwanted or neglected children in our country. That's something we could do to support and say we believe life is always sacred and always valuable. Or here's another issue since we've already talked about abortion, let's just go the whole nine yards, right? What about Black Lives Matter? I mean, do we believe that? Can we simply say those three words and, and mean them, right? That Black Lives really do matter you see a universal principle like life is always sacred it has to be particularized it has to be made specific we have to ask the question on the ground where we're actually living where is it in our society and our culture and our communities right now that life is not sacred where is it that life is not being held valuable and it's pretty undeniable that for hundreds of years white lives have mattered a whole lot more than black lives. And so if all life is sacred and if we want to uphold the dignity of life, then we as followers of Jesus will be the first people to stand up and say, yes, black lives matter. And we need to live in such a way that reflects that. If all life is sacred, we'll always be mindful of those in society where life is not being held sacred, particularly the most vulnerable The Old Testament always talks about the poor in your midst, the orphans in your midst, the widows in your midst, the immigrants and the foreigners who have come here without anything, who are the most vulnerable. It always talks about them in such a way as to say their lives are sacred too. And how you treat their lives is an indication of whether you actually believe this or not. Here's one more. If all life is sacred, then perhaps the actual killing of animals that Leviticus talks about so much, perhaps that should challenge us. We read uh, Leviticus and there's all this slaughter and all this blood, and it sounds so barbaric to all of us, and we forget that billions and billions of animals are being slaughtered in our own culture, in our own society, in factory farms in industrialized slaughterhouses that are almost always inhumane so that every single one of us can enjoy a juicy chicken sandwich at Chick-fil-A whenever we want. And I think this passage should convict us because we are way more brutal, way more cruel, way more barbaric and casual about the killing of animals than any of the ancient Israelites ever were. And when God says to them, you you gotta stop killing all of these animals in the fields, right? You need to take this seriously because you're not treating life as sacred anymore. One, One writer summarized that here's what God was basically saying to them. Everything does not exist for your mindless, unreflective consumption. Everything does not exist for your mindless, unreflective consumption. I think that's a message we could all stand to hear today, right? And it's, honestly, I wonder if God, if he could show up, if he would be as strong and firm with us as he was for the ancient Israelites. I mean, he said to them, no, just stop doing it. Don't slaughter animals in your fields anymore. Maybe he would say the same to us, like, no, stop doing it. Stop killing animals in these massive factory farms. Stop doing that. And, and if you can't control that, then stop eating the food that's coming from these factory farms. And if we believe that life is sacred, if we believe that all of his creation is precious to him, if we believe that we are supposed to be stewards over this creation, not just users and consumers of it, then that might literally change our behavior at the actual dinner table. Or maybe if God was here, he'd just say, you need to stop hating those people because you're devaluing their life and their lives are sacred. You need to stop judging those people You need to stop ignoring those people. Their lives are sacred and precious to me. And if you don't hold them sacred and treat them the way that I would, then maybe God would look at all of us and say, you should just be cut off from the community. And that sounds super harsh. That sounds like Old Testament God, right? Like that's the harsh God that's always really... But listen to these words. This is from the Apostle John in the New Testament. He wrote this, Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. It's simple for John. How we treat other people, how we love other people, it just reflects what we think and believe about God. And John says, look, if you don't really love other people, even people you don't really like, if you don't show them love and dignity, and if you don't respect their lives, well then you don't really love God either. Because God made them in his image. And yeah, he might be a jerk sometimes, but he's still made in God's image. And yeah, you might totally disagree with her, but she's still made in God's image. If we don't stop to pause and acknowledge the humanity of others, the full sacredness and dignity and sanctity of their lives, if we don't do that, John would say, well, I'm not sure you really know who God is or believe in Him or love Him. The two are connected. So... Let me just wrap up by asking you, how does this challenge you today? How does this challenge all of us? And what do we need to do about it? How can we value life the way God does? And how might we today just pray for his wisdom, his vision to see people and to see his creation the way he sees it, his grace, because we're always going to stumble forward, but his courage, And maybe literally living out his value for life. Let me pray for us. Father God, um, this is a challenging truth. It's one that we, I think, all uphold when we see it on the screen. That life is sacred, but... we're honest, there's lots of ways we don't actually take this seriously. And so help us uh, to see that, help us to be honest about it, Um, help us to have your perspective and help us to build our lives on your truth and on your grace and on the life that you can give to all of us, the life that our world so desperately needs right now. Pray all this in your name. Amen.